You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 63 of Aging Starts Now. I'm Barbara McGinnis, a certified elder law attorney and partner here at Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law. With me today is fellow partner and attorney Chris Johnson. Today, we're talking about the differences between a revocable and irrevocable trust. Morning, Chris. Morning, Barbara. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, let's talk about what is a revocable trust. Do you want to start off? Yeah, I think, and that's uh, the most common question I think we get because when people think of a trust, I think the one they've most often heard of is they hear a revocable trust, a revocable living trust, and they're like, what is that? And the way I describe it to them, to kind of put it in easy, simple terms, is it is a legally recognized entity that can hold property and be managed for a third party. And effectively, it's a contract. And so the grantors put in all these stipulations. And in a revocable trust, I call it the triumvirate. The grantor or the people or person who is establishing the trust is also serves as the trustee. And the trustee is, I call, the chief executive officer. They're the CEO of the trust. So they're the person that's going to manage the trust and run the day-to-day operations. And then you have the beneficiary. And obviously, the beneficiary is for whom the property in the trust is managed for their benefit. And what uh, with a revocable living trust, those are the same people serve in all three positions. And really, it boils down to is it's a tool uh, for a way to not have to put your estate through probate because what it does is it per- puts together this mechanism where if you pass away, and we're going to talk about it in a future podcast, let me plug that coming up, and if it's funded properly, what happens is your assets can flow outside of probate, and it really is much more convenient, much less expensive, uh, and just a whole lot less hassle when it's all done right. So that probate avoidance is probably the number one advantage or number one reason people use a revocable trust in their estate plan, right? That's absolutely right. Are there other reasons that we would recommend a revocable trust? Uh, absolutely. I mean, there it, it can be used for a couple of different things. One of the big advantages I talk about is it allows you to, quote unquote, see around corners. And so if you have a beneficiary uh, and the expectation is maybe they're going to uh, take their distribution outright, but then something bad happens to them where getting a lump sum distribution all of a sudden isn't a wise choice, uh, the revocable trust can have provisions built in it uh, so that that doesn't end up disrupting government benefits for that uh, lifetime beneficiary or for someone who has a substance abuse problem, someone who has a gambling addiction where uh, a lump sum of money might 
uh, prove more harm than good. There's all sorts of extra advantages that you can do and you can put forth. And I always say, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, almost up to your imagination. You look at the what you can put in the document and you say, I want to make sure that my errors are protected. And so that's a great tool for that. Um, it can be used to fund uh, testamentary trusts. Uh, and so it'll give you kind of an advantage of I can avoid probate or I can make sure this testamentary trust is funded. Uh, so there are a lot of other advantages, but I think most of those are considered ancillary to the avoiding probate. When people think revocable living trust, they think avoiding probate. Sure, they do. And sometimes they forget you even get that advantage with an irrevocable trust because there's all kinds of other reasons that you would use an irrevocable trust in your estate plan. But before we go to irrevocable trust, let, let's just wrap up some of the other reasons or ways that people use a revocable trust to help um, their unique circumstances. Um, I have seen families use a revocable trust for just asset management, because while a grantor can be the trustee and the beneficiary, they don't have to be. You could have another person serve as the trustee. So for asset management for the grantor slash beneficiary, uh, someone that's becoming of advanced age and perhaps declining capacity uh, and that they're vulnerable to external or third party influence, you could a revocable trust could just protect them from themselves in a way. Uh, we do that a good bit. I also have a client that's using a revocable trust to uh, to kind of manage a, a fairly sizable estate for his children, and he's serving as co-trustee. So children have inherited money from grandparents. Um, dad is serving as co-trustee with this adult young child, uh, 20-something, teaching them how to manage and invest. And then the child is still, the child adult is still the beneficiary. So it's a vehicle for their particular goals. Lots of things you can do with a revocable trust. One of the um, nice things about a revocable trust, and, and what do you call it, they trifecta trust or some the triumphant yeah, trust <laughs> okay I'm, I'm a, a little more uh homespun i guess i tell my clients it's like the hokey pokey trust you can put <laughs> stuff in you can take stuff out you the grantor are in control you can revoke those rights of revocation and amendment and change they, they are with you and you have a lot of control over these assets uh, it's tax neutral. That's another advantage, right? It causes no real untoward tax event. Uh, it doesn't cause any tax advantages either, but it doesn't hurt you in a tax standpoint. Um, there are, well, anyway, I'm in love with trusts. I think they are a great invention of the legal mind and how they can help people uh, reach their goals and solve problems. What are some of the cons of a revocable trust or some of the negative things that you tell families to, to be on the lookout for? Is there anything with a revocable trust? It's not so much negative or a con. It is the potential for misunderstanding. When clients hear trust, they 
I think just because they know little bits and pieces here and there, and they pick up things from friends and neighbors and other family members, that sometimes they can have a misguided belief that somehow if they put something in a revocable trust, those assets are protected. And oftentimes clients are stunned to hear that the revocable trust does not provide any layer of asset protection. And it's that misunderstanding that needs to be nipped in the proverbial bud and let them know up front this, the primary goal. Now there's all these other ancillary goals that we've laid out and the abilities to do these different things, but primarily we are setting this up for a probate avoidance tool in the vast majority of the cases. And you need to understand that this is not going to shield or protect assets from some of the bad things that life can bring. And as long as they have their eyes open, it's not necessarily a con. It's just understanding that's not the tool for those types of jobs. It's you use the irrevocable trust for those types of jobs. And so the irrevocable trust, if my revocable trust was the hokey pokey trust, the one that's flexible, easy to use, uh, almost hard to mess up kind of thing, nothing can go wrong easily with a revocable trust. The irrevocable trust is a different beast. It can be, uh, it gives you that asset protection, which is the number one positive thing, but it's not very flexible. There is loss of control. There are potential tax consequences. So an irrevocable trust has to be thoughtfully entered into. and, and who are they the best solution for? Who does they work for? Well, it, it, it depends what you're shooting for because there's all sorts of reasons to do it. And, and as we all well know, there are very many different types of irrevocable trusts. But I think uh, commonly what we'll see are uh, people who are older, they're past their retirement age, and they're kind of in their forever home at this point. And we're worried about uh, long-term care costs. Maybe we haven't purchased a long-term care insurance policy. Uh, Maybe there are other things we're concerned because we have chronic conditions. And if we can transfer that home uh, or the family farm or any other piece of real estate into an irrevocable trust, what that does is you will hear people commonly refer to it as the five-year look-back trust. And what they're looking at is they're looking at planning for TIN care for Medicaid. And once Medicaid is going to penalize for gifts, uh, transfers of assets for less than fair market value, and when you quit claim deed your property into a trust, the trust didn't buy it from you, so you have made a gift. So there's going to be a look-back clock for the last five years on any of those gifts, and there can be a penalty. But if, if the skilled nurse care isn't in your, uh, you know, in on your horizon in the next couple of years, you can get the home in there uh, and you can shield it from estate recovery and you can shield it uh, from, from those types of things that are uh, make the possibility of losing the home real for so many people. And that's very frightening because for a lot of people, especially middle-class people, the home, the land they own is most likely their most valuable asset. And it's something that they want to make sure that, hey, I want to give this to my children. This is a gift. We've built this up. We built this up to not only take care of us, but make sure our children are in a good position going forward. And they don't want to see that lost unnecessarily. So with an irrevocable trust, we get the the byproduct advantage, so to speak, of probate avoidance, but during life, 
we get asset protection over our home, our land. This is how we save the farm a lot of times, right? We can transfer money, different types of liquid investments into an irrevocable trust as we plan for um, future long-term care costs. And it protects for both husband and wife if we're a married couple or if we're a single person of high net worth and we want to make sure that assets stretch the rest of our life and we leave a legacy. So it it definitely fits the bill for a lot of folks um, with those sorts of worries. Is there ever a time that a simple will would be better than having a trust of some sort? I, there, there's a time, well, one, everyone should have a will. And I think sometimes people are surprised when we set up even just a revocable trust to avoid probate. And then I say, okay, we're going to execute your will now. And they're, they're stunned that we're even doing a will. And I, I talk to them that it's a pour over will. It's there as a backstop. And we don't want single points of failure in the planning. And so that catches people off guard. There are some people where maybe the estate value is so low, it's just not necessary to uh, the expense of establishing the trust and, and trying to manage that because maybe their estate can flow via small estate affidavit or they have uh, done a very good job of beneficiary designations on all their accounts. And so everything has been essentially converted through a non-probatable asset through other means. Uh, and so that can certainly work sometimes, though I do caution people who uh, like to say, well, I've beneficiary designated everything, and so that takes care of it. What the trust does that will or beneficiary designation straight to people doesn't do is it allows for some contingency planning. If the person you've beneficiary designated predeceases you and you haven't put a contingent beneficiary, well, now it's in your estate. And so you, you better have a will. And so I, I'm a big believer that you should always have a will no matter what. But people tend to think that they can outsmart this and do it in a better way. When you have significant assets, the trust planning, I still think, is the best one. Um, another scenario, though, where you might, uh, a will you'll use in conjunction with a trust is a testamentary trust will uh, for your surviving spouse to be able to protect some assets for them. And that's a tool where you can only do that via the will. And again, probate is not inherently a good or a bad thing. It is a tool. And are we applying the appropriate tool for the appropriate job? Well, well said, Chris. I, I thank you for today. Uh, I thank you for every day that I work with you. I love working with you. Um, I thank our listeners. Take Us McGinnis is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability of an elderly loved one. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com? 
document downloads, the Tagus McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there, free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging starts now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness. 